This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast about all things innovation in the people space. I'm Kyle Rode. Let's start the show. Welcome back, HR Rebels. Extremely excited for the conversation today. With us, we have Stephen Rothberg. He is the founder of College Recruiter and the host of the High Volume Hiring Podcast. Uh, welcome to the show, Stephen. Excited for the conversation. Hey, Kyle. It is awesome to be with you. Thank you. We are pumped to have you. And with us today, special guest, Patrick Moran. Welcome back to the show. Oh, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's jump Let's right in. Do this. All right. <laughs> Well, you know, really, really excited for this conversation. We're going to be talking about a topic that we have not talked about on this podcast in, in the last few years. And, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, what we would call college recruiting, campus recruiting, early career recruiting. Uh, so, Stephen, I think, you know, my first question for you is what what motivated you to found an organization specifically focused on college recruiting? Oh, total accident. Um, as as. I think most of us that that um, are more than just a few years into our careers, and even a lot of those at the very beginning, will should admit that it's one series of accidental decision after another that lead us to where we are. Um, so I founded a micro business, basically myself and a couple contractors, um, way back in 1991. I just graduated um, from grad school um, at. And I apologize in advance at the University of Minnesota. Sorry, Iowa guys. Um, and the little micro business, what it basically did was we published campus maps with advertising around the borders. We gave the maps to the schools for free. They gave the maps to the incoming students for free. Wanted to broaden the product mix and so added an employment magazine called College Recruiter. And those we gave for free to career service offices at a couple hundred schools around the country. They gave them to their graduating um, seniors. Um, and one thing kind of led to another. There was this thing called the Internet uh, that came along in the mid-90s. And so we added a website. First version cost a whopping $3,000. And the idea behind the website is we literally took scissors and a flatbed scanner and took the ads from the magazine, cut them out, laid them on the scanner, uploaded them those to the website. So you could go to the website and you could search all the engineering jobs or you could search all the jobs in Iowa, but you could not search engineering jobs in Iowa. Um, not exactly high tech, but hey, it was 1996. Sure. And um, the site has certainly grown and evolved um, <laughs> over over the years. Um, we're now used by about 13 million students and recent grads a year, um, global, primarily programmatic, um, early career, high volume, kind of sits at the intersection of all of that. That's fascinating. It's funny, you know, uh, to, to hear that. But yeah, that's what, that's what websites used to be, right? It was like, just take this thing, this like, you know, thing on paper, put it on the website and let's see. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's funny to think about that. And then like fast forward now to what we're talking about, you know, we're talking about, you know, generative AI mm -hmm. and all these, all these kinds of like crazy, like technologies in the talent acquisition space. Um, you know, the, 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 the systems where you like click on a job and then you get like 37 job, you know, notifications for the rest of your life. 
<laughs> um, you know, it's like it's like totally different now. It, but you've been there. I mean, you, you've been doing this for for you know over thirty years yeah. at, at, at college recruiter. So you've seen so much uh, change over uh, over the course of of of, of your career there. Uh, what what are some of those things that that just really surprised you? Uh, now looking back as to like where we are now as as opposed to where uh, where you started. Yeah, so you know the things that really surprised me as I got into the industry, into you know call it college recruiting, university relations, call it what you may, was how uh, what a high percentage of the recruiting professionals would say that they were data driven and what a low percentage actually were that that whole field industry um until just a few years ago was very very much based upon guts gut feel where do we think our best candidates are coming from there was almost no tracking of when we spend a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars what kind of a return are we actually getting for that. Most organizations would think about it in terms of school by school. Did we hire anybody from that school? Mm. And they wouldn't think about, well, this school A, it cost us $5,000 to go there. We hired one person. School B cost us $50,000 to go to, and we hired two people. The way that most of those organizations would think of it was that school B was twice as good as school A because I hired two instead of one. And they didn't think about it from a cost per hire standpoint. They definitely didn't think about it from a productivity standpoint. If that candidate from school A stayed with you for seven years and the two candidates from school B stayed with you for seven months, which is a better source of hire? <laughs> and, and we're still struggling with some of those issues today. But what I do have to say is that in the last four or five years, I do think that most of the TA people that at least that we work with are far more data driven. And and they'll say to us at times, this was really surprising to us, whatever the issue was that we used to, we used to be convinced that this was a really good source of candidates for us, or this tool was really great. But when we ran the numbers, it was horrible. Um, you know, and sometimes that applies to us, good or bad. Sometimes that applies to other vendors, um, whatever. But they are using data much more effectively to actually make decisions rather than just to justify decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, the, <laughs> I heard that story and, and I'm, I'm sure many of us that have been in the, in the, the campus recruiting, college fair uh, space, you know, even just general like recruitment advertising Mm. You, know, you can think about all of these stories where it's like, yeah, you know, we spent this many thousands of dollars and, and there's a lot of stories where, you know, especially earlier in my career, like, I don't even know if we hired him, right? You know, like, yeah. like we didn't like, well, we forgot to ask him on the, on the application where their source was that they found out about the job, right? So we don't even, so there's, you know, there's some of that, um, you know, that as a, as a potential too. And I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting is there's, you know, you alluded to this, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of inherent and implicit bias as it relates to the institutions that you actually recruit at. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, a great example that I think about is like the leader that, that came to me one day, a number of years ago and said, 
we need to go to Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm like, well, we've never gone to Texas Tech. Why do we need to go to Texas Tech? Because it's my alma mater. Bingo. <laughs> right. Like, well, that, that brand affinity is great. You know, that's wonderful. And, you know, but, but does it actually meet our needs? And, and so, and I, and I think that that's a lot of times we kind of, we miss that conversation as well. So <laughs> what, what guidance do you have for us HR professionals yeah. as we're sitting there and we're like, well, scratching our heads a little bit. Well, that's, you know, that's three states away and uh, I don't think anybody wants to relocate to the upper Midwest, but you know, we the, can. the best advice that I ever heard from with an example like that, I, I think it came from Don Carter, who's now uh, a TA leader at, at Uber, I believe. Um, and at the time I think she was within to it. And what she said is that she would just turn that back on that hiring manager. It's like, Oh, Texas tech. Great. You know, tell me a little bit about it. What makes you think it's going to be a good source? And if she was convinced, fantastic. End of discussion. Thanks for the great idea. If she wasn't convinced, which was probably usually the case, she would say, fantastic. And that's going to come out of your budget. (laughs) And they very quickly that potentially fantastic source of hire, uh, that school went to the let's not bother, um, pile. A lot of. You do hear C-suite people putting a lot of pressure on TA to hire people who, in one way or another, are like them. They went to the same school, they belong to the same fraternity, um, whatever. And and I get it. There there are some advantages to that. But at the end of the day, if you're going to spend five, ten, twenty thousand dollars flying halfway across the country to go to a school that your CFO graduated from in 1957 and <laughs> probably doesn't even have the majors or the kinds of talent who are going to go to, you know, who are going to go to your office in 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 Iowa or Montana or Vermont or whatever, then what do you do? <laughs> Side note. To all you Texas Tech Red Raiders out there, that's just an example. We love you all very much, so don't you know? Well, and they're and they're thinking, of course, we wouldn't want to go anywhere other than in Texas. Why yeah, I probably right, probably right, right. Like if it, yeah, if anybody if anybody in Texas Tech wants to come up to uh, to Iowa, Minnesota, Indiana, you just give me a call. We got a place in Oklahoma, you know. And Jan and, and January is a beautiful time of the year. It is we're, we're beautiful. Welcome you. You know, if you've ever seen a Hallmark Christmas movie full of snow, that's exactly what it's like. It's it's wonder. Or or the end of the or the end of the movie The Shining, where Jack Nicholson would be a breeze. Up. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually more accurate. So you get to plug your car in though when it's super cold, so that's kind of a fun Texas thing. Sweet. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we'll quit picking on Texas for a for a minute. So I, you know, I think you know it's. It is, it is fascinating. It's been, it's been interesting to see kind of the evolution of recruiting in general become more, uh, you know, more, more data driven. Um, and I, and I also, you know, I think one of the trends that's been interesting is, is I think about, uh, you know, campus recruiting as it was called when I started is the fact that, um, you know, there, there's almost been a little bit of a rebrand where, and mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think, I think a lot of it probably has to do with, you know, there's more competition amongst employers. Uh, for a, a more scarce, you know, kind of uh, candidate pool. Um, but but we're really, as opposed to calling it campus recruiting, we're, a, a lot of us are calling this like early career recruiting, mm-hmm. right? And it's 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 more focused on on careers. So 
What what is your take on that? Kind of the the, the shift in approach, the shift in terminology uh, into the this early career idea. Yeah. So let me let me preface what I'm going to say by by saying that that I'm a very big believer in higher education. Uh, so some of the things I'll say might strike some people as being. It's like, oh, well, you know, he just believes that we should all get to sixth grade and drop out and go into the workforce. A- absolutely not. Uh, but um, college, university, whether that's a, a tech or vocational school, like a certificate, typically a one-year program, a community college, some areas of the country call them junior colleges, two years, a bachelor's, um, typically offered by colleges, universities, four years, master's, PhD, et cetera. I think that Higher education is a great thing. Um, the cost of it uh, can be overwhelming and can be a real negative. And what's happened over the last 20 years or so is that there's been a real shift from people being able to afford to go to school, to go to college, to go to university. And a lot of people simply are economically unable to do so. What's also happened is that a lot of jobs really no longer necessitate that. You know, if you were to go back 10 years and look at ads for car salespeople, almost all of them would say that a bachelor's degree is required. Mm. That's just stupid. <laughs> Why do you need a bachelor's degree to be a good salesperson? If you've been successfully selling cars for the last 20 years and you want to switch jobs and go over to some other dealer and the dealer says, oh, sorry, you don't have a bachelor's degree. That's just asinine. So. More and more organizations have taken a good look and have said to themselves, okay, historically, we've recruited salespeople out of four-year programs, but does that mean that we should continue to do so? Just because we are doing something doesn't mean that we should be doing that. And let's really examine this. Now, if you're hiring an engineer, guess what? They have to have an engineering degree. If you're going to hire a doctor, they have to have a, a, a medical dig- doctor degree. You know, there are certain professions where you have to have that. But sales, most jobs in IT, simply not the case. So during, um, during the early days of the pandemic with George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, a lot of organizations had a look at a lot of their roles and realize what they were doing by requiring bachelor's, sometimes even master's degrees, is that they were undermining their diversity efforts. Some of that's race, some of that's gender, but it's also about disabilities. It's about military veterans who, yeah, there's money for college, but most of them don't go. And it's about geographic representation. If everybody that you hire grew up within 20 minutes of your office and you've got a national customer base, you've got a diversity problem. You don't have anybody there who's going to understand the differences between the culture in Northern California versus Southern Florida. And that can help with talking to customers, talking to vendors. So as more organizations have moved beyond, you have to have a bachelor's degree. Now they're including people with associate's degrees, with boot camps, just high school. I mean, if you're, if you're an IT company, you want to hire somebody to build an app. Wouldn't you rather hire somebody who's 19 and who has built 38 apps herself for kicks and giggles versus somebody from a computer science program, you know, at Stanford who's never built an app? 
I mean, who's who's more likely to be that productive employee for you? It's it's you know, sorry, Stanford, I love you, but it's not going to be that one, right? Right. You know, with 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 our candidate pools, and and it is being so scarce. Uh, you look at the requirements and the skills that you're hiring, and you're absolutely right. In most cases, not all, but most cases, that degree, that requirement, that scares people away. They run off. That yeah. is a barrier. It is a barrier whether you have mental health issue or affordability issue. That is a barrier and you're shutting out a big pool of candidates. Yeah, and there's there's an argument that I hear from a lot of people in TA that having a university degree or even a two-year associate's degree, that that is a reflection on your willingness to work hard. And we need people in this environment who, who work hard, who are bright and whatever. And they're using that degree as a proxy. I do think that there's something to be said for that, but that doesn't mean that the opposite is true. If you don't have a college degree, if you don't have a university degree, does that mean that automatically you're not a hard worker? I think I threw a triple negative at you there. There are loads of hard workers who don't have those degrees. The next time you go to a fast food restaurant and you're being served by somebody who's a part, who's a part-time worker and she has three part-time jobs, don't tell me she's not a hard worker. What do you say to a TA person who has a group of managers, and I've experienced this firsthand, that a community college isn't good enough? We'd mm. rather see something from um, a state school or a big, big name private school. I've seen that before. Like, what, you, what's your take on that? I, I'd ask, where's the data? Show me, show me the data to prove that. And if you, if you're hiring into a department of 20, I'm not saying that you should fire all 20 people in the department that have a university degree and are working well, but maybe the next time you're hiring, maybe actually do like a scientifically validated assessment to, to determine whether that person actually has the skills. So rather than hiring a piece of paper, a degree, hire for skills. All right. That makes sense. What would you, you know, as you look at campus recruiting and Kyle, you have a much more experience than I do in this um, area. Cause is I, that, is that a compliment or is that an insult, Patrick? <laughs> um, well, Kyle has a story about his exit from campus recruiting that I want to hear. Um, when you're looking at going through the normal tra- channels of campus recruiting, are there other ways you can partner with groups within campuses to diversify your pool of candidates that you're not able to reach who maybe aren't connected to the yeah. systems? You know, because we go back to systematic issues. You know, how do you how do you navigate around that as an employer who's looking yeah. to try to do better? Yeah. So uh, one thing right off the bat is um, I really prefer when organizations call their program and then act consistently with that, something along the lines of early careers. And the reason for that is it gets you out of that box of having to think of your recruiting as being school by school. Um, there's nothing wrong with going to schools, like literally getting in the car, driving to the school three miles away or hopping in an airplane and flying three states over. There's nothing wrong with that, but you don't want that to be your exclusive source of talent unless there's truly a need for people to have certain degrees. I think that university recruiting 
really came of age after World War II. And in a lot of ways, organizations in 2023 are still recruiting the same way they did in 1953. They go to school. They work with career service offices. Um, about 15, 1-5% of students actually engage with career services. And that's a very low bar. Do they ever step foot in the career service office? Do they ever register to do a webcast or something along those lines? So you're missing 85% of the students right off the bat. If you are going to a school and you're not getting the traffic, you're not getting that engagement, understand that there are a ton of other organizations that are doing the same thing you are. You're going to a career fair, you're signing up for on-campus interviewing. The students probably don't know you. If you've got a really strong brand, you know, if you're Apple, Google, Wells Fargo, whatever, you're going to attract students simply because your brand the other 99% of organizations out there, they need to stand out. So if you are in, let's say you're doing a lot of tech recruiting and you're struggling to hire um, females, then sponsor a Girls That Code or whatever that student organization is on campus. It will probably cost you a whopping hundreds of dollars a year. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, you probably spend more on paper clips than, than you do on buying pizzas. But if you were to buy that girls that code group, you know, a couple of pizzas every other week for their meetings, you will be their new best friend and, and they will definitely drive candidates to you. So whining and dining professors is an age old and good source of candidates. Because the professors know who their best students are. They have teaching assistants. They have people who are engaged in class. Work with the professors. Work with career services. Go to the career fairs. Advertise your jobs online to, to hit the 85% of students who aren't going through career services. So it's, you know, in like energy, we've had politicians talk about an all of the above strategy. I think the same is true of early careers. You put all your eggs in one basket, you're probably going to fail. Right. I mean, that's no different than taking a, uh, a client out for a drink or dinner, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it's an investment in time for, for those of us who are on the uh, introverted end of that spectrum. It can, that, that can be hard. Um, but you can do things that fit with your personality, are authentic to your organization. Um, I talked with folks from, from Twilio, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago, a telecom company. And they literally, their, their campus recruiting program was primarily things like buying pizzas. And, and it, they totally made them stand out. They didn't have to fly people all around campus trying to, you know, get that purple squirrel. They were there on the ground day in, day out. Brilliant. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, um, yeah, Patrick was making fun of me, I guess, but you know, I, I, I wear, I wear my badge of honor pride. You know, my first <laughs> HR kind of technically like HR function that I participated in was campus recruiting before I was in an HR job. Um, and it's cause I was, you know, I was young and I could talk to anybody. Um, so they put me in front of the, put me in front of the booth at my, one of my first employers. And, uh, yeah, so the, so, but, but, totally agree you know we would do the things like yeah let's buy the pizza let's sponsor the yeah let's sponsor the event let's schmooze the professor 
Because, you know, here, here's the interesting thing. Like professors are measured on how many of their students get employed post-graduation, right? Like that's a key performance indicator for a, a, an institution of higher ed. So, you know, it's, it's their goal to get students employed and they want to get them employed at a good employer too, right? So cultivating those relationships. And then, you know, I've, I've, you know, something as simple as volunteering your time to actually just go present at a class or yes. you know, be involved, you know, stuff like that. Like that's, that's where the magic happens. You know, some of the best hires I've had have been uh, people that I didn't, I didn't meet at a career fair. I met like three years earlier at a, you know, at a, a campus event and they stopped by my booth and they were like, yeah, three years ago, you, you know, you, you came and you talked to us about it. And I'm like, I have no idea what that was or when that happened, but great, you know, thumbs up. Here's an application. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You, you just, you're, you're rather than being, you know, a small fish in a big pond, you made yourself a big fish in a small pond. You're in a classroom of, you know, 20, 30, 40 people. And when you go into that, just a, a tip, you never, unless the professor really explicitly tells you so, you're not going in there to pitch your organization or your right. roles, right? You do the typical 15 seconds, you know, you know, my name is Kyle. This is where I work, blah, blah, blah. Now let me talk to you about how we're using this tech, how we sell to our customers, how our logistics chain works, you know, whatever the topic is. And you are a subject matter expert who right. doesn't want to work with experts right we'll be back after a quick break and so used to having everything in front of them right away that we forget that innovation just takes time i i myself i get frustrated too why and you know this is being one of my best friends is hey i talk to you all the time hey man i'm frustrated in the fact that i can't seem to just get there in mm -hmm. the next day but that's just not how these things work right Innovation needs to be planned out. It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits, that's when it seems like to everyone else that it, it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know the amount of dedication that it took over that time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's 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 a perfect segue. So Patrick, you know, alluded to this story. So, you know, I um when I first started as a as a like a campus recruiter, it was all about sell, like mm. sell the company, sell the organization, you know, make it sound beautiful, shiny, glittery, like, like best job ever. And, and, you know, we had great job titles. So it was like, you can come be a, you know, like an executive senior leader of uh, <laughs> all things amazing. And, you know, like a, like a rainbow unicorn, you know, supervisor, whatever, you know, whatever crazy job title. And that was so much of what it was like in the beginning. It was, it was very, very salesy, which I, nobody's probably, nobody's surprised that I was okay at that. Um, but what I've realized a couple of years later is like, like if it was like unrealistic, these people would like be really angry because they would yeah. like come into this job, this, this environment and be like, what the hell did you sell me? Like, you mean I have to like clean like, like customer, you know, vomit off the floor if their kid gets sick well this is awful i don't want to do this you told me i'd be like the senior executive rainbow supervisor and now now i'm you know just this lowly uh you know assistant manager and so i started doing having really realistic job preview conversations like hey are you okay with this like this can happen but what actually ended up happening in my my argument is 
we had a better funnel of candidates, people that were actually like, like kind of self-selecting, Hey, I want to work for this yeah. organization. And, um, but I got kicked off the team because I was, uh, I was not as, uh, as polished as, uh, as they wished. Um, and then I got into manufacturing and then now it's all good. So, so it had, so it had nothing to do with the, 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 the uh, the tequila party then, right? That yeah, was, no, no. Was, I mean, we, yeah, we, we'll leave that one out. That one, okay. you know, we'll, we'll talk about that one. Off the air. <laughs> well, that was me. Oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's just the rebel HR parties after the fact. Yeah. Patrick, Patrick, tell you later. <laughs> no, but all kidding aside, I do think, you know, so much of this is about, it's, it's about like finding the right connection. Right. And it's, it's, it's about like the right funnel of candidates, the right, like approach, the right, you know, just, just putting yourself out there in the right, in the right ways. And so I'm curious, you know, as, as the, the environment has changed and kind mm-hmm. of the, the way that we've, uh, we, we've acquired talent has, has, has changed. I would argue not, a, there, there's still a lot of things that really haven't changed much because it is still about kind of that, yeah. that connection. So, so what guidance do you have for us that are kind of thinking about this challenge and trying to figure out, okay, you know, how do I, how do I modify our practices and, and procedures to, to fit the new world, but still retain kind of this, this, this humanity in the process? Yeah. You know, the, the smartest TA leaders that I know are, are always looking for opportunities where there's a lot of potential upside and very, very little downside. So, you know, we were talking a little, a little while ago. Um, I think you mentioned, um, Kyle, like recruitment marketing. So if you're having a lot of success using LinkedIn, don't stop using LinkedIn, but do add in another vendor or two with a tiny fraction of that budget to pilot. Continually be testing. If you're really happy with, uh, well, for this conversation, early careers, the campuses that you're going to, right? Don't abandon those in September when you're probably going on campus, but instead, Maybe add in a few other options, you know, whether that's a job board, whether that's some career fair that's done in a different way where it's in a hotel and that attracts students from 12 different schools, whether that's through some consumer marketing channels like the military are so good at where they have a a booth that's like state hockey tournaments, stuff like that, you know, sprinkle in those things and measure them. There's that great saying that you can't manage what you can't measure. Um, I definitely understand that there are things that you cannot measure well that still exist. But things like your conversion rates, how many people do we need to contact in order to generate, you know, a hundred applications? And then those applications become 10 interviews and those 10 interviews become two hires, you know, or whatever your numbers are. If you don't know your numbers for your existing channels, then you can't properly evaluate potential new tools or strategies. So you've really got to know your numbers. You've really got to embrace that. There are definitely TA people out there where math is not their strong suit. They're not good at statistics. They're not good at measuring. And that's okay. That's where you ask for help. And that's where you bring in other 
people. Math is so much more part of the recruitment and retention process than I think most of us really understood um, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, it is just, it, it, it bears um, an amazing similarity to consumer marketing, marketing products, services, et, et cetera. It is different because in recruitment, you've got a double-sided marketplace. It's not just that somebody says, hey, I want to buy your product. They have to say, hey, I want to buy your job opportunity. And you have to also be willing to sell it to them. Yes, you're hired. Um, so it does make it more difficult. But if you don't know your numbers, you've got to know your numbers. I think you also always need to look at yourself to continue challenging yourself to do yeah. it a little differently, you know, and, and you bring up measurables, the data. And, and I like how you've, you've brought that up a few times. Kyle and I recently did a presentation to a university here in Iowa on just ROI and data alone. And mm -hmm. if you're, if you're in HR, you need to know your data and your numbers to tell your story to your C-suite because they don't speak like we do. And, you know, I look at somebody like, I'll use Kyle for an example because I'm looking at him. Use your network. Say, yeah. hey, Kyle, how are you doing it? What are you doing? This is what I'm doing. How are you doing it? You have, you know, it, profession, you know, careers are about networking in a lot of ways and, and ask your friends, you know, learn from each other, help each other. It's, yeah, we're competitive in a way, but we also need to be there for each other. I always say, you know, yeah, to, to that point, like there's three people that every employee needs to make best friends with in their organization. Mm -hmm. Legal, <laughs> finance, and HR. Like, and, it, and if you've got your network and, you know, you, you've got your person and one of those, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be all right. You're going to be just fine. So. Well, in, in a former life and sort of when I was still in grad school, I worked for uh, Honeywell, which at the time was a Fortune 50. Um, they oh, yeah. did a lot of defense work and controls. The thermostats in your homes are probably from Honeywell, et cetera. And I was in what was called the HR legal um, department. And so we were like a, almost like a little boutique law firm that supported HR. And boy, I can tell you, there were a bunch of HR leaders that were really good friends with us uh, because they definitely, <laughs> they wanted their stuff back quickly and hopefully favorably. <laughs> strategic. That's what we call that. We call that a strategic point. <laughs> Uh, this has been a, just a wonderful conversation. I think some really good, good, uh, good takeaways for folks that are involved in this. And it's not just, you know, this is much broader than, than recruiting early career professionals. This is, you know, a lot of these are just, just, just best practices to be thinking about, uh, broadly in the context of human resources. I do want to shift gears. I want to go into the rebel HR, uh, flash round. Are you ready? I am ready. Fire right. away. Question number one, where does HR need to rebel? They need to rebel by embracing, not just tolerating the use of data driven decisions that the, the old, we've all, we've always done it this way. So we're always going to do it this way. No. I've never heard that before. Can you write that down for me? The, <laughs> all right. Question number two, who should we be listening to? You know, one person that I just can't get enough of is uh, Jim Durbin, uh, D-U-R-B-I-N. Uh, Jim's, uh, you can find him LinkedIn everywhere else. Just Google the Indeed Whisperer. Just about every organization 
uses Indeed in one way or another. Um, for a lot of organizations, it's their primary source of hire. Jim knows Indeed better than anybody at Indeed knows Indeed. So if you want to understand how to get more out of your marketing budget or however you might be using Indeed, that's your guy. Absolutely. All right. Last question here. A lot, a lot of great content. I'm, I guarantee you there's a lot more out there uh, that you're producing. So how can our, uh, how can our listeners connect with you and reach out and, uh, and learn more? Sure. Um, you can email me, Stephen, S T E V E N at college recruiter.com. Um, and every couple of weeks, I'm a co-host of a podcast called the high volume hiring podcast. Um, you can find it on LinkedIn. Just, just Google it. Absolutely. And we'll have all that information in the show notes, open up your podcast player, uh, check it out. Uh, Steven, thank you so much for joining us today and being so generous with your time. Uh, it's really great to, to make the connection and, and uh, appreciate all the content you shared today. Kyle, Patrick, it's been awesome. And, and go Gophers. <laughs> oh, you had to do that. Dude. Oh, come on. Jeez. <laughs> We're just going to leave it right there. <laughs> right. Thanks. Have a great day. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.